Hi, I'm Krawlock, and this is Gamers Explain. On today's episode, I asked a number of Gamers Plain users the same question. The question is, when you see an interesting RPG or setting for an RPG, how do you make the decision to run it or to seek to be a player in a game? These are their answers. Next up, Wardomo. <laughs> so um, you've got all these ideas as a GM, and uh, you said you wanted really want to be a player and exalted. But when you see a new game system, what's your thought process on deciding whether or not you want to be a player or a GM first? I generally want to be a player first, um, just because there's there's so many things to do when you're a GM that if you don't you don't have to be a, a like a rules master to GM, but if you're a complete newbie on it with everything else you're trying to juggle, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy that game. Um, so when I'm GMing, I want to be able to focus on the players and the story and, and not on the mechanics. Um, I want to be comfortable enough with the mechanics to do that. That's why I'm, I'm that's another game that I've been wanting to run forever is, is the, the atomic robo game that's based on it's based on fate but i've never played fate um and so i think it seems like a very fun game i've read it but i just i've fate's very different from anything else i've ever played and so i really want to play that first and then you know maybe run it yeah i've got atomic robo i think i've gotten in a couple bundles or <clears throat> random yeah I got, I got it in a bundle yeah yeah and it looks great um i'm really a fan of kind of like a post-apocalypse kind of style of game, but anyway. It's got a really great humor about it too, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. Yeah, and like you said, Fate is a, it's just a tricky, it's a sticky wicket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it takes some grokking to kind of really get the flow of the currency between Fate points and tagging aspects and. Yeah, and that's the, like, cause it, it, it builds itself as a lighter system, right? And it is, generally. Um, but, but the lighter a system gets, the more, I think, is expected of the GM and the players to carry that, that narrative load that a dice roll would cover in a lot of other systems, right? Um, and that's, that's even more reason why I'm intimidated to, to run it. Yeah. It's kind of like the 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 Genesis system, the 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 Star Wars Genesis system. Like, I I get it kind of, but in in play, I worry that if I'm like on the fly trying to figure out like, okay, what do these dice mean? A, okay, it's succeed but with failure, but with a challenge. I, I don't. I can't. It's too much for me. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I think my my intuition on this because I've played. Genesis and I've played Star Wars and I've played the Legend of the Five Rings fifth edition that uses a similar narrative dice is that um, a lot of getting through that complexity about success with failure and that sort of thing comes from having done it 50 times before and so you've got this pool of knowledge a pool of memory on the cool things you can do with those uh, those twists yeah, which is why I need to play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's Harrigan. 
when you're looking at a new system or something that's caught your eye, what, how do you make the decision to whether you want to pursue being a player or the GM of that system for the first time? Uh, this is a pretty easy one for me um, because I, I think as I've talked about before, I tend to be a bit more on the minimalist or lightweight or game or almost like a framework kind of, kind of, kind of gamer. I want to have some rules in my head that I can apply to a situation rather than have a big text full of very specific corner case rules, right? But I've found that I actually can enjoy those games that have denser rule sets if I'm not the GM. And for a long time, like I think a number of people, probably you included, um, I was a forever GM for a long time, you know, all when I, my first, all the 80s, basically, and the 90s. And then the 90s, when I started doing play-by-post, I was mostly the GM. But then around, around two, early 2000s, I started playing as well. And now I play it. It's at least half and half. I play a lot. And I have discovered just in the last couple of years since I started playing live again, wait a minute, all these games that I've been poo-pooing and, and bad-mouthing and all the rest, they're actually kind of fun to play from this side of the screen because a lot of that complexity isn't in your face. So I've been grappling right now, the game that you and I are in, Twilight 2000, I've been grappling with, do I want to run that game? Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of meat on the bone <laughs> for that game. But it's fun to play because our GM is doing all the, all the heavy lifting on all the coolness under firewalls and all the you know, all those roles in the background. So that would be the, one of the times that I want, what I want to, I want to be a player and not a GM is one of the, the, maybe this, maybe the setting, the scenarios interest me, but the mechanics don't, that kind of thing. The other time, other time would be when I'm completely cold to something. So when I'm, when you're learning a more narrative game, like Fader, Powered by the Apocalypse games, or, you know, um, uh, belonging outside belonging there's just tons of games now that you can you can look at that run very differently than a traditional game i'll want to play those first see how the gm handles things and in fact when i in 2019 when i threw the switch and said i'm going to get back into live gaming i watched a load of actual plays listened to podcasts and just did all the research i could around like what's the what's the hobby doing now with all these different ways to play live and, and games that run in a very different mode than your, your bog standard D&D type of thing. So that's that's generally it. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if I, there's certain games when I pick them up and I look at them, I'm like, I need to run this. You know, I just, it, it, it speaks to me in terms of the stories that people people can tell, et cetera. Um, so beyond that, it's kind of an emotional thing for me. You know, I don't know. What, what's, what's your take on that when you want to run versus play? Yeah, so I generally want to run. Um, just you know, not only a forever GM by uh, by destiny, but by choice, right? Yep. Yeah, I love having the I love having the being able to control what aspects that we're going to explore. Like if you spend your entire life playing D anD D fifth edition, you may never get to ride a dragon, right? But yep. if you're the DM, you're like, let's just if I want the experience of riding a dragon. Let's just do that. We'll we'll just start there, right? Yeah. We, or we or we can build up to that. Whatever you want. So whatever when a when a setting or a system speaks to me in a certain way, that I'm like, this is a really cool thing that I'd like to explore. The only way I'm guaranteed to explore it is if I control all the narrative, <laughs> right? Yep. Now through a, a great session zero, you can probably talk a GM into pushing that through as well. But that's just a little bit more work. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. And I'm in the end, I'm pretty careful outside of cons, which I haven't been playing a lot lately for obvious reasons. Uh, but outside of those, I'm pretty careful about who I, who, you know, whose games I join as a player. 
Um, some of them I'll, I'll do it to explore. I just finished playing a Swords and Wizardry complete game, which was incredibly old school. So old school that, it, you know, it, it listed four or five of the things that I really hate about old school gaming, including like, like detailed time, t- you know, you, you, you picked a lock that took 10 minutes, one turn, and the guy's got a long sheet. But I discovered through playing, I actually had a great time in the game. It's not something I would ever want to run, but it was a gaming experience I hadn't had since 1983 or four or something. And even then, I never ran those games that way. This guy was running things very, very methodical. So it was kind of cool to do that. But I 100% see what you're getting at because I I often am fussy about specific content in games. And I'm like, the only way I can control that is if I run it. So can I keep the shadow shadow run out of my cyberpunk? Yes, I can if I run the game. You know, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. As a player, what calls to me largely is um I don't know. I, I want I want to explore games sometimes without purchasing them and learning them. And some one of the best ways to do that, I think, as as a player. And like you said, you can you can dive into the rules specific to your of the specific usage case of your character, right? Yep. Reading, reading through um, 600 pages of Zwiehander and trying to re- realize, you know, learn the whole thing is just nuts. But yes. if, you're, if your character doesn't access magic, you can skip the whole grimoire section and focus on what your character really does. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. And it's hard to do that as the GM because it, it sounds like you're like, I am. I want to understand the rules. If we're engaging with the rules on the player side or the GM side, the GM, I would like to understand those. And that's it. There's a different mindset now. There are certain games out there that just put a lot out in the hands of the players and are like, GM, don't worry about it. And I'm like, that's that's not how I look at things. So, Yeah. Yeah. I run a number of narrative heavy um, duets. So one-on-one gaming. Yeah. And um, even for those games, one of the core principles of doing that is I want to learn how to run this game. So even though we could probably just skip by all kinds of things like rolling initiative and that sort of thing, yeah. uh, you know, we go through it at least once, do it right and follow in the games because that's the only way we're going to learn it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of the best, re- best reasons for people who GM all the time to play. I will also say for people who only GM, it just expands your horizons. When, yeah. you, when you play and see how other people run games, solve situations, solve conflict at the table, whether it's in play-by-post or live, it was invaluable to me to, to just sort of shift gears and say, what about being a player for a while? And now, frankly, I went from being full-time GM to half and a half, and I love it. And now, anti-product. <laughs> um, so you, you saw this game, We're Locks. And um, and you've bought, in, I'm sure, a fair number of other games. When you look at these games, do any of them crawl out to you like, I really want to play this versus I really want to like uh, craft a story set in this world? That's quite an interesting question because I've got like, I've been hoarding a bit as I, as I've confessed earlier. And you're squarely to blame, obviously. You know, uh, but um, I, I would really like to craft something within the 13th age 
uh, world. I mean, it has so many opportunities. I mean, it literally has 13 ages for you to weave your stories through. It would be, it could be anything really. And it's flexible enough. Yet, uh, with a familiar D20 system. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Fiddly for somebody at the beginning, but if I got it, someone who's more invested in RPGs would probably get it uh, way easier than me. You know, the basic mechanic of rolling a d20 and adding an attribute bonus, um, your level, and then any applicable background points is just really simple and intuitive, right? And, and that's most of the game right there. There's a lot of other things on the GM side, like, um, but... Icons and yeah. whatnot and relationships and whatnot, but the, the exact thing that you're not having uh, 15 different skills that you either are proficient or not and whatever, but you're having background, general yeah. background, and they can be broad enough, really. Yeah. So you could have a particular uh, set of skills, as one might say. Yeah. But not limited. One of my favorite games is called Over the Edge, and I've yet to run it on play on Gamers Plane. And it's they recently did a second edition, and it I'm not sure that it would play well. There's a lot of back and forth transactions in resolving things, but the the basic idea is that you're in this this stop me if this sounds familiar. You're in this really crazy kind of spooky island in the Mediterranean, <laughs> where uh, it's called Al Amraj where basically every conspiracy theory ever invented is true. So it's a really kind of a gonzo, goofy game. Oh, oh, oh don't really. So, I mean, I've, I've been, I've watched this uh, series that have come lately on Netflix. It's about conspiracy theories being uh, quite true, actually and all driven by a single company and whatnot. I'm, I'm not trying to give away any spoilers anyway, but let me just get the name because it's was that, killing me. That's that cartoon, right? I started, I watched a few of the episodes. Exactly. Yeah, that one. It was pretty funny. It was um, the same people as Gravity Falls, I think. Was it? Let me, I will find it. I'm sure, I think. Uh, so in Over the Edge, the idea is that your character is really, you have a base um, central description, and then you've got two side descriptions. So you might your base description might be, I'm a helicopter pilot. And your side description might be, you know, who is really strong. And another one might be with um, minor inherited ESP, something like that. And so the idea is that whenever your base description applies to a role, you'd roll 4d6 
if one of your side ones rolls 3d6, otherwise it's just 2d6. So eliminated skills in entirely the same way 13H did instead of and having very much like the backgrounds. Um, it might be where 13th age designers got the idea from. <clears throat> Sold it probably, but the, um, the title of the cartoon actually is Inside Job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up. But it's, I've actually had the idea sprung up to me when I watched it to run something like that, but you you'd need the appropriate um, audience for it. Yeah. Because when you're playing something about conspiracy theories, you can be politically correct, really. So yeah. anyone sensitive to certain uh, subjects would be quite surprised. Yeah, for sure. There's so many different ways. Like if you could, um, conspiracy theories about, you know, the World Trade Center attacks or uh, about the Arab Spring or, um, you know, all kinds of modern day things end up with a political divide on one or the other. Yeah, <laughs> you, definitely, you definitely would want an audience or players and a GM that are just capable of following the narrative and not, uh, not, prejudging the outcome <laughs> and, and really looking for the humor in it not trying to find a deeper truth or anything yeah and i've also had this uh, crazy idea to run something based on the i think gear zero engine the one from tales from the loop really yeah but quite more simplified for uh, happy three friends thing. Yeah, it seems that lately my ideas revolve around Goofy and Gory. <laughs> goofy and Gory. <laughs> and um, politically incorrect. Yeah, if I had to sum it up, it would be those three things. That is exactly so, the description of my weekend trailer park shark attack game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I mean, everything. It can't be everything uh, dark and serious and uh, greedy and whatnot. Sometimes yeah. you you have to be lighthearted, goofy, or yeah, for sure. There's TV shows like. Um... Buffy the Vampire Slayer I've watched over and over again and that's really one of its trademarks is that it's a horror show but it's all couched in humor like there's so much humor in the show and it provides this excellent counterpoint to the darker horror elements that uh that arise throughout the the show yeah I mean there's this uh, couple of dudes in a Greek YouTube that have been doing uh as they call it, bro movie reviewing. So it's, uh, they've been doing things like uh, Demolition Man with Wesley Snipes and uh, Sylvester Stallone. And uh, they recently 
have done the, the mummy, the first one, the original one. The only one, as one might say. <laughs> and they've, they've been saying things that I haven't noticed while watching the movie, really, that it's been balancing the humorous and the horror side of it quite nicely. And I mean, uh, whoever would tell me that when they first saw the mummy, they didn't get frightened by the amazing CGI that it had for its, for its age, they would be outright li- be lying. Yeah. Well, Brendan Fraser is such a great actor. He has such great comedic chops that he's playing these serious role, like the main character in The Mummy, but he just looks goofy, right, half the time. And I think he's always Jungle George. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite movies with him is Bedazzled, where uh, he plays this guy who... Um, meets the devil and the devil starts giving him wishes but of course so he makes these wishes but the but the wishes always turn out really really badly (laughs) so he just plays like a bunch of these completely different roles where basically his life is completely altered is like i wish i was a professional athlete you know just really rich and really famous and so they uh the devil makes them basically like a shaquille o'neal or michael jordan you know a top basketball player but he's really, really dumb. <laughs> and he's got a really, really tiny pecker. So <laughs> it ends up being uh, pretty funny. <clears throat> the, and what has been stated to uh, that series of uh, movie reviews is that there are things that nowadays cannot be filmed and be shown without people going out with torches and pitchforks. Yeah. And it's actually surprising how uh, pathetic the Demolition Man movie is about political correctness and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't have the um, three seashells yet, though. (laughs) I would still be next up bed zone two um I think my deciding um well my my criteria are these uh I always want to play <laughs> right every game oh I love to play this uh, it's it's that immediate reaction okay let me qualify that if I like the system <laughs> uh yeah if I like the system yes I want to play this um for me to for it to cross over to I want to GM this is when you read the bits of okay so you land your hands on a, a new book right uh, a new core rule book uh, you want to run it or at least I want to run it when I think I've got uh, it's back to the story idea really when I think I've got a story to tell in this system whether it's because of a setting or more rarely because of its mechanics. In other words, I want to play out these mechanics. I'll give an example in a moment of what I mean. Um, but uh, typically it's a setting. So if I get another, okay. So PBTA is a great example. 
we've got a slew of different settings, right? Using the same engine. Uh, if a new um, setting comes out, I'd have a look at it. I go, is this just more PBTA, but with, you know, uh, vampires, right? More PBTA, but with, you know, a uh, post-apocalyptic world, for example. Uh, I want to play it if somebody were to offer it. I don't know if I want to run it because do I really want to play post-apocalyptic, but with PBTA? Because that may not be interesting at all to run. Because that's not different from any other previous PBTA running experience that you have as GGM. So that's not that's not fun. Uh, more fun would be, I want to run a post-apocalyptic world. Which system do I already know, or not know for that matter, which may offer me the best mileage to run such a post-apocalyptic world? And then you know, then you call upon your memory and you try to decide, have I found the best system yet to try this out for? Yeah, so um, driving force for GMing, um, very much uh, what is the genre, right? Um, what is the, what are nice systems? I wouldn't say the best system. What are nice systems to run this genre in? Very much so. Um, more rarely, uh, mechanics make a difference. Right? In other words, I want to run these mechanics. Uh, I, I don't feel as much. I think, again, but again, speaks of um, uh, me remembering older systems better than I do newer ones. Uh, two systems that made me want to run things. Um, uh, one was Pendragon, really, because it's got, well, part of its setting, of course, it has a specific timeline. It says the entire reign of Arthur, right, from when he was a kid and, you know, his, his, the, the England before that, till when he dies and then what happens then. So it's got a year-by-year -year breakdown, but it's got a particular system about virtues and vices and flaws that you want to have. Yeah, you want to have, you want to try it out. So, so that would be my example of a system for which would make you not just want to play, but make you want to GM. Another example, again, it's an old system, Ars Magica. With its rather, well, in its time, again, uh, one of the most unique um, um, magic systems possible, broken down into different um, types of uh, magic and different ways of casting that magic. It's quite comprehensive in its time. Yep. Yeah. So these would be system um, yeah, motivations for YGM something. Yeah, very much so. Hmm. Yeah. I, I remember um, I've, I've only ever played Pendragon once. Hmm. And, uh, so if you're unfamiliar with it, casual viewer, there's a, the, the, the vice and virtue system is there's like 10 or 15 different um, scales. For example, you might be chaste to lustful, right? Mm. And so you'd pick somewhere like one to 20 on that scale. If you're 10, you're right in the middle. And so knightly virtues were all on one side and then more less knightly virtues were on the other and and so I, we, you make knights, and I made one who had a few of the, um, you know, vices that were quite strong, and uh, just because I thought that would be a lot of fun, right? He's got these deep flaws, and um, so one of them that none of the players or the GM really took to to, uh, to heart was that I had a squire, and it was my sister's son, 
and my sister and I just really didn't get along. So I was constantly just like whacking this kid. <laughs> just you know, the people like, you can't hit kids. I'm like, he's my nephew and I don't like him. <laughs> anyway. Right. Right. But, but that, that offers great role-playing, right? Great, great role-playing opportunities based on the mechanics. Yeah. 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 So that you're not just a definition of your, um, of your um, attributes and abilities, right? You're not just defined by strength, wisdom, you know, um, intelligence, or not just defined by, uh, I can hit somebody twice a day for two d six, or something like that. I guess, right? Because yeah. those are just like those are just raw mechanics. It really doesn't matter what the resolutions are. Mm. Yeah. 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 So I agree with you then that sometimes. A mechanic is really interesting and you don't want to wait for a game to show up. You just want to just like launch it. It's like, let's yeah. try this. Let's see this in action and have fun with it. Right. Yeah. One thing I didn't get much mileage of, and I know it happens quite a bit on GP as well, uh, but I think, I mean, again, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, yeah, you, you're very open to short, quick games because, you know, you're happy to try out a new system and you're saying, let's give it a run. I'll just run an introductory module for it. Uh, who wants to try the system out? And, you know, it will take a couple of weeks and then you're done with it. Uh, I have, um, that's just personal preference. I use, I'm usually disinclined to play games like those. I can imagine it's real life equipment, uh, which is, um, okay, we've got a, we've just bought a new game. Who wants to unbox? And then, you know, let's roll it up a bit and see where we go with this. Um, it feels strangely dissatisfying. I don't feel like I've gotten something out of it. Um, but then that's just me liking longer games with more like threads and, and, and whatnot. Um, tell me the idea. I mean, I'm, I'm just asking, what is, is, how fun is that? Uh, PVP wise. Because it's PvP. Again, if it's real life, I'd understand. Yeah, yeah so real life, I don't do that. Um, no? Okay. No, in real life, this and this is a problem for real life gaming, is that when we start a campaign in my groups, it's going to last two years. Yeah. Right? And right. we get to about the two-year mark, and it's like, okay, well, should we start something else? Does somebody else want to run something? And so... Uh, the last game I ran was Vampire the Masquerade. We got about mm -hmm. two and a half years in before COVID hit, and then we kind of just yeah. faded away. Yeah. But before that, it would be like D&D &D for two years, and the same campaign, right? Same mm -hmm. characters, L5R or um, Changeling the Lost before that. So I didn't get to play a lot of systems because... Right. I, you know, you buy games, yeah, yeah. buy a lot of games because because I'm obsessive and uh, same here. But you just don't play them, right? And so, play by post has really given me that opportunity to play games oh. that I wouldn't be able to play in in live games. So, uh, there's a lot of different experiences, a lot of different genres, things that I just never get to play, and there's so many I haven't tried, and I always feel like this this urge to try new things. So my latest interest post is called um, <clears throat> Trailer Park Shark Attack. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so I think there's a Trailer Park Shark movie that it's based on. And right. the basic idea is that you're in a trailer park, it gets flooded for whatever reason, and then there's sharks swimming amongst the trailers and you're kind of like stuck in the, <laughs> stuck in the trees, it's mid-disaster, right? And you're just going to die, right? You're going to get eaten by sharks. That's that's just a given. <laughs> anyway, so it just sounds like the kind of goofy thing that 
would be a lot of fun in a short burst. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we could sustain a sh- trailer park shark attack game for two years. Right, right. You, you Although surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly that lasers and feelings game that we did ran for quite a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's a one-page rule book, right, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. Um, I'm, I'm sold. I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, a great point that you just made. The fact that um, um, a play-by-post is going to afford me the opportunity to play more games than uh, I'd ever be able to in real life. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, of course. I, I, like you, I haven't played for two years tabletop. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and and uh, so if you try a game like Tech Noir or The Sprawl, and you, you know, you go through it, you run through the mechanics, you run it, maybe you get a couple months in, you're like, you know, this isn't actually new play by mm-hmm. po- or powered by mm-hmm. the apocalypse. This is just mm-hmm. the same old. It's not really adding anything. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe cyberpunk requires a lot more crunch. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can discover these things. And then if you do want to just play a long form game, you've yeah. at least tested it. Right. I mean, and that's again a very insightful point from you because, again, because you had a chance to see that Techno slash Sprawl game. Uh, and of course, that was a game I inherited. That wasn't my system of choice, right? Um, there were two players who were looking for a GM, right? And they had started Techno. Yeah. So, and I was, I don't know if anybody else was familiar, but I was familiar with the system enough to run it. Yeah, but I hadn't run it before. So I said, I'll give it a go. And of course, you and um, was it Windy Ridge who jumped in and joined yeah. us as well? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, on, upon playing, it didn't look like a system, as you rightly pointed out, that, that worked well with uh, Cyberpunk, right? Uh, there were flaws in the system itself. Switching to a PBTA worked a bit better. But again, as you rightly observed, wasn't the best either. Maybe you're right. Maybe Shadowrun needs to be crunchy. Right, you want to count bullets, and you know you want to count like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a meta level, and if you've read Neuromancer and any of those yeah. deep, you know, especially the William Gibson novels, mm. there's so much detail that he puts on the page. You know, so much um, crazy stuff he doesn't explain. Right, like mm. uh, just there's there's this idea of the character is going through the page and it, the world is just super complex and they know something about it really well, but most of it's just a big mystery, right? Yep. And crunch helps you picture that in your head. Like in Shadowrun, they'll give you, um, here's our chapter on guns. And it's like yep. 20 pages of guns, right? And every page, uh-huh. every statistic is different. And there's like 10 statistics for a gun and they're all different. And you're like uh-huh. peering through them and comparing. It's like, oh, this one's got better range. This one's got a better capacity. This one has better armor piercing. And you really, there is an information overload to the, even just the gear, right? Mm. The whole and that could be of, part of the fun, right? I think. Right? Yeah. But, it, and, I, and I think it really sets up the game well is that um, you're just not going to understand unless you spend a lot of time why the Ares Predator is such a popular gun or, you know, why the, um, the, uh, <clears throat> the mages always choose certain spells until you actually get down to the nitty gritty and details. And it gives that reward for specialization and learning. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. it just fits cyberpunk as a genre very well. It, it does. I mean, even trying it PBTA, it feels as if you abstracting your cyberpunk just too much 
right? If every gun is the same as every other gun, because it either gives you a plus one or a plus two, or it's armor piercing, then that's all it's going to do in a PBTA situation. There's not much else you can do about that. Yeah, so maybe maybe some genres do lend themselves or feel nicer or feel different, right? <laughs> With certain types of systems, uh, cyberpunk being one of the best examples of that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so. I'm, I'm I'm open to the idea that the feeling we have for cyberpunk is the narrative, right? Mm. So the GM and the players, as long as we're invested in a narrative, we can recreate all that without the system. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. I mean, one of the one of the um, one of the biggest disappointments over in my end um, using that the two systems to run that uh, cyberpunk game that uh, we we played and you played a hacker, right? Uh, you played a hacker was the fact that you never got to hacking, <laughs> right? It was it was either too abstract or there was not enough to go on, you know. I mean, if if all hacking was just one role, it just makes the character type really well in my opinion boring to play because if you've had a computer to hack and okay i've rolled one set of dice and here i go or maybe you roll twice right and then i mean i've got information really that's all a hacker does in this game and it's not it's not very fun to play is it yeah yeah, yeah and that's not just cyberpunk I, I remember i was playing um a game of warhammer fantasy so in Warhammer Fantasy, you just roll a bunch of D-100s yep. and it's like, oh, okay, yep. you're, I'm an elven hypnotist. It's like, I never would have picked that, but that's what the dice told me. So so my, I have, the only skill I've got is hypnotism, right? And right. so the first time I get to use it, um, I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the city. I hypnotize some people and the GM gives me some, some information, right? And it's taken like 10 posts and a lot of effort. And, and then... One of the other players is like bribes somebody with like three copper coins and says, and he gets the exact same information in one post, right? <laughs> like, oh dear! All right, yeah, that was that was suboptimal because you, like you're so heavily specialized in this one skill, you want it to yep. be like yep. the only way to solve a yep. certain problem. But mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that that would have been quite sad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and you get that in, in Shadowrun, right? If you're hacking the Matrix, you know, the rest of the team can just go for lunch. They can come yeah. back here and they're like, okay, you finished your one-on-one -on -one session with the GM. Right. <clears throat> See, PVP, individual threads, it will solve yeah. the problem. Yeah. Well, it won't solve the problem. It will, it will make the Next up, Laugh Todd. Depends on how big a quirk I want to run with. You know, if it's if it's a, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who does this. Who just has this catalog of unplayed characters that I'd love to find a place that fits sometime. Um, obviously, I don't want to run those games, but then they're like, hey, this 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 idea might make a kind of cool plot. I just need people to do it, otherwise, I'm writing a novel. And then it's honestly, it just kind of depends on how big I'm looking at. And the, uh, the, the, the prompt forums are really nice because it's like, oh, I'm interested in that system. Eh, I'm not really jiving with the direction they're taking it away for the next one. It's, it's nice that there's kind of that screener there. Because um, some you read and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally could jump into this world. I want to play this game. This sounds awesome. And it's, it, it, it's, it's nice to 
have those sneak peeks. Yeah. Yeah, there's some great interest checks out there. There's one game called Lady Blackbird. And if you've heard, somebody posted an interest check for it and people just like dived on it like squirrels on a pumpkin. And uh, squirrels like pumpkins, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the setup is the main character is like fleeing her wedding or something like that. And she has an airship. And everybody else in the party are like crew of this airship. And then they oh, just kind of sail off. It just sounds kind of weird, but you know, just like, hey, I'd really like to try that. Well, and it's like, it, it, it's nice for, oh, I've never, I haven't played 5e yet. But a whole bunch of people are posting games in 5e. So now instead of having to, you know, ha having to come, you know, find a world that I find is interesting and learn a new system. Like, that one's interesting, that one's interesting, but it's full, that one I'm not really into, and eventually I'm hoping I'll find one that's like, all right, cool, I don't have to worry about story here, I can learn the system and enjoy myself, and we're good to go. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so that makes sense, so you, you like the idea of GMing when you've got some kind of like, particular quirk to the the game that's just not going to be replicated with you only as a player oh so like um and this is a real world a real life example but it was it was um sometimes it's based on the mechanics of a system like when 4e came out i had this idea that the the, the kind of tiers that you had as a player and I, it's been a while, so I don't even remember how it went. But basically, those tiers were directly related to how you served a given deity, whether voluntarily or involuntary. So I had this whole this whole world set up where everyone had a paladin vibe. Okay. Um, and they got extra homebrew powers based on how long they had been serving their gods. And then we got to get into this whole thing about like, well, did you choose this or like, did they just kind of show up all Greek style and tell you you were going to work for them now? And, and that, see, that one I could never have, I could never have done that just as a player. I don't exist. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's, my husband, right? that's my husband <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, i think in forgotten realms one thing i tried that was like that was that in order to be resurrected in the forgotten realms if, as i understand it you need a patron deity like yeah. there's a deity needs to intercede and say like your soul's like flipping off to like some kind of purgatory right <clears throat> Or just so you'll just be like consumed. But then like one other god, a god can just like pluck you out of that disposal shoot and put you into their their afterlife. And so that's how you can get resurrected is that your soul has to be rescued before it's flushed through the yeah. cosmic toilet. <clears throat> and so where, where that leads to then is every player needs to have a patron deity that they're making sure that they are 
um, you know, in the goods with. <laughs> what comes after death? It kind of depends. <laughs> Presenting Remnant. Um, I guess how comfortable you are with the system. Um, I think I've played Savage World maybe once or twice in a one-shot before I was like, I can run this, it's pretty easy, I'm not that smart. Um, other systems, it, it all depends on what, what you want to try and do. Um, more of the crunchy systems, like somebody said, did you want to play Eclipse Phase? I was like, sure. And then I looked at the rule book and I was like, okay, I might have to use a spreadsheet because of how egos worse versus which kind of body you're in for trans humanity and yada, yada, yada. The multiple page spreadsheet just for my one character to keep track of all my stuff. I, I don't really want to go ahead and jam that system. Because, yeah. you know, it, it'll probably be less for an NPC, but if you have like 13 NPCs, you have 13 egos and 13 bodies. And if they die during the adventure and they come back in a different body, how is it different? You know? Yeah. Well, Altered Carbon has got a similar kind of. Uh sleeving mechanic but i think it's simpler than eclipse phase yeah everything should i mean <laughs> unless you want to do flex box because that's why i did i made it overly complicated <clears throat> yeah i always find like i want to run games that i'm familiar with and play games that i'm a novice in and learn that way but it always find, turns out, I think, I mostly play in games where I've played it before and I run games I have zero experience with. Like I've, I've run games where um, I get the players to make the characters. I haven't even opened the book. I don't even know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> well, honestly, it's, as a player of the GM, I guess it's whatever you find interesting for the story. Like, if you think it would be more interesting to be, because um, I, I, I hate to say I look at RPGs games more like an anime series or like uh, an episodic TV series, would it be better to be the director or just the guy that's the middleman that's getting the writing team to write in for just your one actor? Yeah. Like, do you want to be the guy that's revealing why the apocalypse is happening at your um, high school? For zombies that they only like eat junk food. They don't eat people. They just attack anyone with junk food. Take it. You know, it's like why? Why are they just? I mean, that's that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or do you want to be the player in that where like why would you? Why would zombies just eat junk food? It's just it's just wrong. They don't touch sun chips. That's, yeah. It's official. They're not. How are they different from regular teenagers? Yeah. <laughs> and here's White Knight. I think the only system that I really hooked me at, at the first glance was um, Polyhedral Dungeon, okay. which is a little independent game that was written by I can't remember his name but it's on drive through RPG uh, it's a very simple game it uses polyhedral dice and the polyhedrons decide everything like when you have arrows you have like a d6 arrows 
and you roll each time you use it. If you roll a one, you run out of arrows. If you roll anything else, then you have them available. And that seems to me to be an interesting mechanic. They use a similar mechanic for spells and things like that. You know, how many times a day you can use a spell. Yeah. And that struck me as very interesting. That's the only one I've seen that I really want to run that I haven't run. Uh, my go-to game is Savage Worlds. That's the one that I, I usually play that or Pathfinder. Yeah. When I first saw Savage Rifts, I've never played Rifts and had only limited exposure to Savage Worlds from some one-shot games that Remnant ran on Gamers Plane. But as soon as I saw Savage Rifts, I'm like, I need to run this. <laughs> so I got, gathered a crew together and we ran a couple adventures and it was a lot of fun. And then more recently, I started an Atlantis game, Savage Rifts Atlantis, after a Kickstarter um, um, sent out their the backer copies. And then that's just been a lot of fun. Savage Worlds is just a, it's a solid system. and It is, and it's so versatile. I mean, you can use it for anything. I've played supers with it. I've played space with it. I've played horror with it, and it all works. Yeah. Um, Rifts is a great setting, <laughs> but the game itself, the, the actual Palladium system is lousy. And yeah. I, I say that with love because I know Kevin Sambita personally. I've talked to him, and uh, he's a great guy, but it's just incoherent the, the way it's written yeah but you know, they put it in savage worlds and it works beautifully yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty it's a pretty cool system um and it handles the power level of riffs very well like riffs characters are generally um <clears throat> a lot more advanced than your typical savage worlds like i ran a a solomon came game for a year and a half, which was just a brilliant game. Just so much atmosphere in this uh, kind of puritanical Europe. And, um, but the characters were all fairly low level, low power. They're just mostly, you know, but Riff's characters are just nuts, right? You, you want to be a dragon? Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the problem with the, uh... The actual system itself is every time they released a source book, they released a more powerful character. You know, your first book, you had the Glitter Boy, and that was the, the end-all, be-all. Then they released another one, and it had dragons. And then they released another one, and it had these aliens from outer space that could be ungodly power. And it just keeps growing. Each time they release a book, it would get more powerful. And pretty soon, if you, you know, your little glitter boy that you started the campaign with is left behind. Yeah, somehow the, the Savage Rifts version seems pretty balanced. One of the players um, is actually playing a character from the first campaign, where it's just Savage Rifts. And they're a Mars, so they're just a, just a, a human, right? They have no special abilities whatsoever. They just have good gear is really the package, right? So they've got essentially an armored personnel vehicle and the uh, heavy lasers on the top are the most powerful weapon in the, the whole party. <laughs> <laughs> They're just a regular human, right? And the rest of the people are 
have ridiculous powers, but it all just kind of balances out. So, yeah, I've, I noticed that about the Savage Rifts. It, it does balance out very nicely. They've really done a good job of, of balancing the system. Yeah, I'm not big on balance as a as a game design mechanic, but what it what it does do is it gives the GM a shortcut in keeping the players relevant, right? Which is which is important, which is the real goal. Yeah. I'm very much a um I tell my players, you know, I'm not going to pull punches on encounters. If I roll a dragon and you're stupid enough to take that dragon on at first level, you're going to die. <laughs> uh, there is a time to run and a time to be obsequious and, and appreciative. And now, Kalajel. I like to play Legend of the Five Rings because I've been forever GM in that game. Uh, that's one of the games I really like to be player. Um, other games, I don't really have preference. I, I think it's really when I'm stuck as a forever GM in a certain specific game, then I'm thinking like, yeah, that would be fun if I could be a player instead of a GM. But usually I don't really have preference. I'm I'm gonna be game master because usually I'm game master because I'm the only one who owns a game. Um, then eventually my friend, sometimes my friends really fall in love with the game and they buy the game and eventually they start GMing. But for some reason, Legend of the Five Rings, I was really stuck forever GM there. Which which version? Fourth edition? Uh, first through third. Okay. I really want. I really want to buy. I really wanted to buy fourth edition, but when that happened, I just moved from where I was right now. My current gaming group had just disbanded, so I basically had nobody to play with. I had no idea when or if I was going to find a group to play. I was aware that uh, samurai drama wasn't exactly the most popular genre around, so I decided to wait a little bit. Plus, you know, I just moved so I had spent a lot of money already so I was I decided to adopt this uh, this attitude of wait and see and now AEG no longer has the the right for uh, Legend of the Five Rings uh, fourth edition of discontinue and now if I want to buy it I have to uh, basically buy sculptors sculptor price on eBay so I'm kind of kicking myself for that yeah yeah, I bought the core book for fourth edition and pretty happy with it. Um, found uh, and purchased some PDFs for some of the other books, but um, I definitely prefer the roll and keep system to the proprietary dice that were used in the fifth edition. Um, and the fifth edition, I think they've lost that license and it's gone to somebody else now. So I don't know if they're going to stick with the um, fantasy flight game style of narrative dice or if they'll move to something else again. But yeah, it's uh, first time I played it was D&D 3rd edition through um, Oriental Adventures. Yeah. But the player, but the GM who ran the game had played 1st um, and 2nd edition 
L5R for a long time with her gaming group. And so she brought a lot of the sensibilities from, from the game from that. Yeah. Well, those are some pretty interesting answers and some great conversations. Um, one of the responses I've seen that wasn't included was that some games are just really hard to run and it takes just a lot of effort to run. And so you just rather be a player just to avoid all that effort. I think a couple of people indicated that more complex games may require more experience as a player before attempting to run. And that's a little bit different, but all in all, I think there were some really interesting approaches to those various topics and none of which really landed on mine, which is, I probably just want to run it. This is Krawluck and this has been Gamers Explain.